Welcome to the Rookie Mortgage Broker Podcast with your host, Scott Peckford. Hey, Scott Peckford here. Today, I decided I'm going to go back and find some of my favorite episodes and do a throwback show because some of them, honestly, if you missed them, this was back at episode 110, long time ago. And very inspiring story from a guy named J.D. Smythe, how he was able to rapidly build a mortgage business and was able to get up to $20,000 within a month, within three months. And this was back when mortgages, by the way, were much smaller. And I just find this very inspiring story. And I know that some brokers, some of the brokers that I have coached and work with have actually used this strategy to varying degrees of success. And so hopefully you find this as entertaining and enjoyable as I have. Check it out. Before I jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers. It's very easy to use. It's got smart docs, smart submission notes, and it's connected to the lender spotlight. The submission notes are cool because, you know, as you know, if you want to get an approval, you've got to make it easy for your underwriter. And it actually pulls key data from the application and puts it into the notes because, as you're probably aware of, but what they see on their side is not often what we have on ours. And so it just makes it easy for them. You can check them out at lendescom slash Finmo and check out this conversation I have with JD. So I had actually heard about you through my buddy, Dustin Woodhouse, and he told me an amazing story about how you sort of got started in the business. And so that prompted me wanting to reach out to you, but I'm not going to tell your story. I want you to tell it. But before we get there, I want to know about sort of how did you get into the mortgage business? Like what was your path to becoming a broker? Well, interestingly enough, uh, I went to school for the ambulance. So I started doing that in 1990, 91. And in 95, I had a car accident. So by 96, I was worried that my back might not hold out. So I started doing insurance part-time. And uh, in a short period of time, I started making more money with insurance than I was on the ambulance anyway. And I did that until about uh, 2000. I took a short contract with CHIP, Canadian Home Income Plan, or Home Equity Bank now. And I worked for them as a BDM. And then uh, the insurance company brought me back for two years, then um, bought my business out. And I had a non-compete clause, so I couldn't go back into the same business. I had the mortgage license already from working as a BDM. And I was referring business to a number of mortgage brokers. So I understood the value in the service that they provided and felt that it might be a good path. So I uh, started in the business 2003, 2004. Did you specialize in any type of particular insurance? So uh, initially, it was a full gamut of financial planning. And the problem I had with that was is I had a hard time narrowing down my customers. When I switched over to PenCorp, they had a real neat model. They tended to specialize in uh Small business entrepreneurs, self-employed contractors, that type of thing. And so uh, it just gave me a real narrow focus and allowed me to uh, direct my energy into a, a highly identifiable marketplace. Right. And so then how did you go from paramedic, obviously insurance, having a non-compete? And then so how did you sort of start building your mortgage practice? Well, so I came in and I had always resolved that I wasn't going to really try to lever my natural market. I always kind of felt that People knew me as, uh, you know, whatever I'd done before. And when I was starting out in the business, I felt that it would be a mistake for me to ask people that knew how inexperienced I was to do business with me, not because of how good I was, but because they knew me. And so I held off on my natural market. And so I was trying to look for ways. And the only way that I knew was sort of something that I adopted in the insurance business. And so what I did, I started to uh, go door to door, or actually was contracted a contractor and pitched them on uh, individual mortgage products. I had a script down. And the reason I picked contractors initially was because they're so easy to identify. I walked out into the parking lot and uh, I saw white panel vans and pickup trucks. And almost all those guys are self-employed. And so uh, I walked up, 
introduced myself, said, uh, my name is James. I'm the uh, guy that handles the uh, financing for all the small business owners in the area. I saw your truck. I figured there was a pretty good chance you were self-employed. As you're aware, you don't have access to the same kind of mortgage and finance benefits as a guy that, say, works at a regular job. And uh, a lot of guys like you have felt that that wasn't fair and wondered if there was anything that could be done about it. And so now there's programs available specifically geared to guys like you. And I'm here to explain how they work. If you have a couple of minutes, I can go over it now or typically have it work by appointment. When are you available? Right. So which parking lots would you target to do this? Well, so it's funny because uh, I started off in the parking lot of the brokerage that I was working in. There was a guy that was doing glass paneling there. And actually, I en- ended up working with a guy named Lewis, who's a friend of mine. And he was one of my first clients and has sent me a ton of business ever since. But typically what I do is I pick a number of different what I consider to be contracting hotspots. So construction sites, new build construction sites. And that also usually enabled me to pick up some residential stuff right off the bat. I always uh, went and contacted the real estate office in there and I'd pick up some B business. And then uh, I talked to all the contractors in the uh, construction area, the ones that were working on the homes. You know, I tended to have a schedule. So in the morning, I go to Home Depot. I talk to all the guys there. After that, I head over to uh construction site for two hours. At lunchtime, I'd always hit the Tim Hortons or the, you know, the food plaza where they had three or four different things in the gas station. I talked to the guys as they were coming out and heading to their trucks. My goal was to talk to about 20 people a day, mm-hmm. 20 to 25. And uh, out of the 20, I'd pick up five leads. Out of the five leads, I typically book three appointments. Out of the three appointments, I do two applications, and one would turn into a funded mortgage. My uh, goal was to do that you know, forever if necessary, but I was only able to do that for, well, three months is really what it worked out to be, 90 days. And Dustin talks about 100 days, but... What happened was, is I started off working the my first month, and uh, I actually funded two mortgages that month. I ended up making about $6,000 that month. My second month, I only made about $600. My third month, I made about $20,000, and I hired my first assistant. And uh, by that point, I was inundated, and I have never really marketed or cold called ever since. I do a little bit of stuff around, but it's been one of those things where my database just exploded in between referrals and... Uh, renewals and picking up some low-hanging fruit through uh, real estate marketing, I just grew. So literally, you go from not being in the mortgage business to end of the third month, you had to hire an assistant to keep up with the work? Right. And I capped out at about five assistants. What does your business structure look like now then? So right now, I have an administrative person and I have an assistant. And then uh, I have a partner that I work with that does the uh, stuff for the mortgage agency, for the brokerage. He does the payroll and that type of thing. And and I still look at my primary objective as sales. Mm-hmm. And so do you still work with a lot of contractors? Not the same volume as I did in the beginning because I have a lot of residual business and a lot of that is referral. So the one thing about working with contractors or any type of self-employed group is they tend to be very significant centers of influence. I don't know about you, but I tend to refer all the guys that I deal with. So there's a restaurant I like, I refer it. And I do that because I tend to do business with people I like. And I like to support the small businesses as opposed to big chains. A lot of the guys that I was dealing with were in the same same boat. They'd refer me to other contractors, but they referred me to family members. And so I ended up with people who from all walks of life, and it just kind of mushroomed from there. Right. So if you were to move to a new town, no one knew you, and you needed to rebuild your business, would you do this again? I would. There's a couple of things that I also introduced a little bit down the road. And I've also worked with some of our agents in the business to adopt. I ended up doing an open house cold call. But almost all my business was done through sales, direct face-to-face sales. 
I've never really gotten the hang of marketing. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't sound like you need to. <laughs> well, and I've never liked the passive nature of, to be honest, I've never been able to wait for the phone to ring. I get a little antsy. So you go out and you make the phone ring. So you'd go to Home Depot's, you'd go to job sites. So walk me through this. You'd go to a job site and you'd walk up to the guy working and you'd be like, hey, I'm JD. Pretend I'm working. How's that look? Same type of script. So I'd see a guy working and I'd walk up. And it was funny because I was always in my suit. And uh, so a lot of times they thought I was the home inspector or every once in a while I'd have guys jumping off the scaffolds because they thought I was immigration. But uh, I'd walk up and uh, I'd introduce myself. I'd be like, you know, my name is James. You know, I'm the guy that uh, works with all the self-employed contractors in the area with respect to financing. And I had a very specific script. I didn't vary from it because I found that when I varied from it, I talked myself out of the sale. Right. And so I basically say the same thing. You know, as you're aware, you don't have access to the same kind of financing that a guy with a regular job does. And because of that, you know, you don't have the same opportunities that maybe they do. It's not particularly fair. And a lot of guys in your position have wondered if there was anything that could be done about it. And I can tell you that there are programs out there designed specifically for people like you. And uh, if you like, I can explain them to you. And uh, invariably, people are looking for money for one reason or another, whether it's for acquisition of equipment, whether it's because they've got some debt that they need to take care of that they built up through the startup process. Whatever the case may be, people are people. So you're looking at debt consolidation. You're looking at, uh, you know, some equipment leasing. But there was just a lot of opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Some of it I didn't handle. Some of it I did. But uh, I felt that, you know, just having an identifiable market made it easier for me to go out and make my calls every day. Right. And so you didn't do it. It was not like the phone. It was the face to face. And then so how did you put deals together, though? If you're brand new, like I got to think like self-employed deals are hard. So what I did was I looked around the office and found a couple of guys that had been in the business for a long time that weren't all that busy. And there's people like that in every office. I came to realize really quick the money is not in processing the mortgages. The money is in bringing in the client itself. Mm-hmm. And when you have lots of quantity, you get quality. And so uh, I bring it in. I'd pass off my deals initially to guys who were less busy but had lots of experience. I learned what I needed to from them. And then, uh, you know, eventually I became an expert. Right. And so did you primarily do, like, was it B deals that you were doing? Was it like home trust stuff or what type of stuff? I know the market's changed a lot. And if you could do something like this today, but so the product is going to vary slightly. But what were you seeing mostly with this strategy? Actually, back then I was doing a lot of city financial deals. And I have to tell you, I'm very loyal to home trust and equitable companies that have worked with me all the way along. I did a ton of business with them. But, you know, it was interesting because my business, and I think this isn't necessarily untrue for a lot of people, but you get a lot of harder deals in the beginning. And, you know, it's what you cut your teeth on, but you have a lot of time in the beginning. So why not give them a try? Time is really the one commodity that you can trade on in the beginning that gives you a competitive edge. And actually, one of the things I used to say, and I don't say this anymore because it's actually become a bit of a problem, but I used to say that I was the guy that answered his phone until it got to the point where I got too busy, where I I had a hard time answering my phone all the time. Right. Um, But that created a sort of some secondary strategies that we had to employ. But long story short, I did a lot of business with Equitable. I still do. I did a lot of business with Home Trust for a long time. They were my primary vendor. And invariably, just because a guy is self-employed doesn't mean a spouse is. So I get a lot of business with our other lenders too. I tend to do a lot of business with model lines. I like to support them because I feel like they support our channel. And I've always felt like companies like Scotia, you know, sometimes they're a little bit aggressive on terms of the competition at renewal. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe that we own the client. And so I've tried to pick my lenders along those lines. But there's a place for all the lenders. And the reality is we can't do our jobs without them. 
Right. And now, so did you also like weave in any, you know, there's like factoring, there's a whole bunch, there's leasing. When people came to you with that stuff, what did you do with the stuff that didn't fit? So I did a lot of factoring. I did some factoring with private lenders. There was a couple of companies out now that names escaped me because I haven't done them in a while. There was a couple of companies out there that did some visa factoring. So if you were talking to a mechanic, let's say, that had stable uh, visa sales, you could factor those invoices and it gave them some cash flow. I didn't love the factoring though because I felt like they were trading off a lot. I did a lot of equipment leasing, tons of equipment leasing. I still do. It still factors into a part of my business. Did a lot of vehicle leasing. There's a couple of local leasing companies that I've dealt with. Now Dominion has their own in-house leasing company. You know, we passed some deals too, too. But I was looking for whatever I could. And whether or not I made any money off it or not, just the fact that we were helping them out, establish relationship, and led to, you know, other avenues of business. Mm-hmm. Fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, who maybe weren't such a hard deal, but I never would have had access to. And so eventually I kind of became the guy that everyone referred to worked magic. And it wasn't that I worked magic. It's just that I knew what I was doing. Right. Okay. So let's say a new broker or a newer broker who's like thinking, man, I'd like to try this. What would you do different today if somebody was going to go out and, I mean, the reality is you can tell this to a thousand people and maybe one in a thousand will actually go out and do it. So, and if you're the one listening, reach out to us. I'm sure JD would love to hear your you know, results, but what would you do differently if you had somebody that, you know, a young person that was going to try this? There's a couple of things that I've sort of done over the years that have changed. I started to identify new markets. So one of the things that I did was instead of going out for individual clients, I slowly started to evolve into looking for uh, centers of influence. At one point I was doing a lot of debt consolidation work. And so I was working with a couple of trustees. We do a lot of work both before and after the bankruptcies. Mm-hmm. those clients, the ones that you help out when they were on their knees, you may not make any money on initially, but they tend to be people that have come back and come back and come back over the years. The way I equate that type of business is it's sort of like planting a crop. Mm-hmm. You may not get uh, anything to eat on your plate tonight, but come spring, you know, you've got lots of stuff that's coming through that pays you. So I did a lot of consolidation business there. And I also started working with, well, obviously realtors. And I had a little bit of a different take on how to do a realtor, but realtors they were the ones that I wanted to contact least. And I, it's not to say that I haven't built some very effective realtor relationships, but I find that they're such an easy target for people in our business that they're the ones that are called on the most. And so you really have to have a way of differentiating yourself when you do go see a realtor. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I dealt a lot with some financial planners, did a lot of work with insurance, other insurance companies. I did a lot of work with accountants. Accountants were great, especially this time of year, because... uh a lot of people are getting an unexpected tax bill that they don't know how they're going to handle. A lot of people have to pay off income tax arrears. And so I just, I picked industries that I thought I had value to add to. I go in, I'd have a pitch and then I'd uh, maintain the relationship with that person. And the ones that started sending me business, I'd reward. And whether it was reward, you know, monetarily or just some sort of recognition, I always made sure that I looked after the people that were looking after me whether it was cross referrals, didn't really matter. I've never really been one to like to spiff people, but... Uh, There's lots of ways to say thank you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's really good. We dove into that because I heard bits and pieces of this from Dustin, and I wanted to kind of get that out. And I think it's a fantastic, uh, just shows initiative and chops and being willing to like clearly define a target market so that you know where to look and then start talking to people. And even like your case, you didn't even know necessarily how to put the deals together. You just were like, I'll just find them and then I'll figure that out, right? Like most time... People are afraid to even go talk to anybody because they want to know everything, but it takes a long time to really get to learn the business. 
I just uh, realized that it was an underserviced market because a lot of people were afraid of it. And I figured if nobody's talking to them, then they're going to be the ones that are most receptive. Having said that, I firmly believe that if you're waiting to know what you need to in this business, you're never going to get there because the business is changing, especially now. You know, I can tell you that uh, putting together a mortgage, I'm sure you're aware of this too, and anybody that's listening to this, if we were to compare the business to a year and a half ago, two years ago, it's completely different. You know, it's not what you know, it's what you're prepared to find out that makes a difference. That's a great line. It's not what you know, it's what you're prepared to find out. So I want to ask you about failure. So I know that talking to successful business owners, mortgage brokers, failure happens. It's never final or fatal. So can you share something that you failed at and now looking back, the lesson that you learned in it? There was a couple of things. The first thing that I did was I didn't anticipate my growth and I was afraid of investing in my business initially. And what I mean by that is, is, uh, Probably my second year in the business, I got to the point where I was almost paralyzed. I couldn't answer the phone fast enough. And at that point, I was no longer out selling, but I had one assistant and I probably should have hired two more at that point. And I waited too long. And then I was so busy trying to push my deals through that I didn't have the opportunity to step back and train anybody. And so it was sort of a vicious circle. That was the first thing. I waited too long to hire. That was one thing. I think that uh, when you start to realize that you have a sustainable business, you have to make the sacrifice and invest in your business and maybe take on an assistant before you think that you necessarily need to because when you need to, it's too late. Right. That's my experience anyway. And so you say that there was a time when you had five assistants. And so what happened so that you're now able to run your business with less assistance? Well, two things happened. I had five assistants going into 2008. In 2007, 2008, I became a victim of my own success at one point. It was just after I started in the Dominion channel. We were an independent mortgage brokerage prior to that. My partner's name is Guy. My partner and I, we uh, started up the Dominion franchise here in Ontario. We bought Chris and Gary's franchise. They had a company here called Dominion Lending Center Central. So we bought that because there was nobody else operating at that point. I think there was like 40 people when we started with the channel. I couldn't handle the volume, so I kept hiring more people. And then the market crashed, long story short. And so I let some of the people go because I had to. And then I diversified was the second thing that I did. I went into a second business. I went back into the disability business. I was recruited back into the company that I had come out of. And so I was operating as a regional director for them and doing the mortgages. And then I realized that I just, I liked the mortgage channel much better. And I felt the opportunity was there. And I got out of the insurance about a year and a half ago and sort of focusing on just the mortgages again. And have you found a like, significant change in like an uptick in your business now that you're focusing on the one or like... Well, two things are happening. I'm trying to take my own advice. And so right now I'm investing in the business again. And we're starting to look at ways to pick up on my volume. There's no problem getting business. And anybody who's been in this field for any length of time realizes that if you want to make money or you want to develop clients, you just have to go and get them. It's like turning on a faucet after a while. What I'm doing right now is, is I'm uh, working with a couple of newer brokers or newer agents who maybe aren't as busy. And rather than hiring assistants this time, I'm co-brokering business. And I'm trying to manage my growth a little better this time. But there's definitely business out there. I think that there's just more business than there are brokers. Right. That's awesome. So this has been a great conversation. I'm going to switch to some rapid-fire questions. You can answer these shorter answers if you like. What do you think is the number one thing holding back most brokers from being successful? I think they're afraid. I think they're waiting for the phone to ring instead of going out and finding clients. And what one thing or how many things made you successful? I work really hard. 
I think I understand that this is a sales business or a marketing business one way or the other. Mortgage brokering is what we provide to our clients, the service we provide to our clients. But what we do is we sell, we find business. Mm -hmm. Do you have an internet resource or a software program you use to make your business more successful? I actually use a lot of calendaring functions. And I'm always looking at trying to improve that. Dominion comes with a lot of tools. The one thing that I think has really uh, helped my business, though, is uh, I switched over to a VoIP phone system. What that's enabled me to do is have a phone system that makes me still sound very professional, but uh, follows me everywhere I go. It also turns on and off at a certain time, which allows me to draw some differentiation between my business and my personal life. Because at one point I was working all the time. Right. So that's always a challenge in our business. As you start, like you said earlier, you can be a victim of your own success and then trying to fit in still family and not fit in, but you know, the priorities that you have, but they can kind of get pushed aside. Well, and that's one of the things that I have changed significantly. And I've had this conversation with Dustin and a number of other guys. At some point, be careful what you wish for because you're likely going to get it. I remember when I started in the business, all I wanted to do was be busy. And then uh, it got to the point where, you know, I was working, you know, I'd wake up in the morning, I'd look at my phone, I'd start checking my emails before I even got out of bed. And the last thing I was doing at night, you know, wasn't kissing my kids when they go to bed or it was working again. And I was working, you know, 14, 16, 18 hour days. And I realized that there's only so much money I need, but there was a cost to it. And so uh, I'm trying to make sure that I manage that a little better. Right. That's really good. Do you have a book that you'd uh, recommend for our listeners? There's a couple of books that I've read that have had an impact on me. You know, going way back, Thinking Grow Rich was one of the first books that I read. And the message that I liked there was that you become what you think about. And if you start to envision yourself as successful and, and you find people that are successful and you surround yourself with them, those habits will rub off. And I think I adopted that early on in my career and it's made a huge difference. It's one of the reasons I like talking to guys like Dustin or yourself or that's why I like that mastermind process. That was one of the books that I read that had an impact. Well, obviously I like Dustin's book. I like it because A, sharing knowledge and it gives some people, you know, some clear ideas on a way to do their business and it's sort of a platform for people to jump on anyway. Another book that I read, you know, one premise stuck out to me and was probably responsible for my success in almost every endeavor was is a, a book called The Road Less Traveled. It's not the newest book in the world, but the part of it that I got was that, you know, you have to put in some effort before you can get a result. You know, when I was younger, I had a hard time. I wanted to have my car before I could afford my car. I wanted to, you know, buy my vacation before I could afford my vacation. I wanted to make sales before I had clients. I started to realize that if I wanted to be successful, I had to deserve it, which meant that I had to earn it. Right. That's good. Last question for you. Remember the movie Back to the Future? I do. I remember the car, the DeLorean. So if I could put you in the DeLorean and wind you back to when you first started in the mortgage business, I mean, you had a pretty, what would you tell yourself so that you could have a you know better, more balanced business today if you could wind back the clock? If I could wind back the clock, what kind of advice would I give myself? The first thing I'd tell myself is to not maybe take the business so seriously. It's not that scary. I would have had a lot more fun in the first couple of years if I just uh, had enough faith in myself to realize that if you work hard, you tend to be successful. That's the one thing. It was pretty hard on myself in the beginning. The second thing I'd probably tell myself is you can't help everybody. At some point, we're not people's problems. We try to provide solutions. And sometimes, you know, maybe it's not uh, our services that somebody needs. Maybe it's somebody else's. You know, I'm not going to try and go beyond my scope. You know, when I was a paramedic, one of my mentors said to me that you didn't cause the mess. You're just there to help. 
And I think that's good advice in the mortgage space, just like it was in the ambulance. I mean, you're a paramedic. You didn't cause it. I'm just here to help. And sometimes, you know, you can't help everybody, right? And so right. you didn't cause their bad credit or the, whatever their situation is, or you're just there to help. And so don't get so, yeah, emotionally tied in that it like wrecks you if there's a problem. And make sure that you don't overpromise. Right. That's important because that's where the stress comes when you're like, yeah, no problem. And then, oh, actually, there is a problem. Right. Yeah, that's good advice. Well, man, I really appreciate your time today. This has been an awesome conversation. Where can people find you online? So it's www.goodadviceforabetterlife.ca. And are you guys recruiting or hiring at all? So we're always recruiting. We're always hiring. He does a lot of training. I do a lot of seminars myself. You know, at the end of the day, I'm a firm believer that you learn something, but in order to master, you teach it. And so we want to make sure that we pass along as much information as we can to others that we can. Right. That's awesome. Well, anybody listening can check out the links, show notes, everything that we talked about and connect with JD at ilovemortgagebrokering.com. JD, man, I appreciate your time today and hope you continue to crush it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks again for listening to that episode. Hopefully you feel inspired. And if you do this, go and shoot me an email. If you're like, hey, Scott, I'm going to try this strategy. I'm actually going to do what JD did in this episode and you know, go to a parking lot or pick a niche like that and start having conversations. I'd love to hear from you how it goes. And if you're listening to this, recently I started a brokerage, which is something I said for a long time I would never do. And you can follow along that journey at brxblog.com, where we share every month what's the ups and downs, trials and tribulations of trying to grow something really big, which I have never done before. And just it's been a massive learning curve, but it's been a lot of fun. Check it out and I will see you on the next show. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.